This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, January 15th. I'm Rachel Delchidis. And I'm Virginia Allen. On Wednesday, the House voted to impeach President Donald Trump for a second time, making him the first president to ever be impeached twice. Fred Lucas, the Daily Signal's chief national affairs correspondent, co-host of the Right Side of History podcast and author of the book, Abuse of Power Inside the Three-Year Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump, joins the show to explain what happens next and how likely the Senate is to hold impeachment hearings after Trump has already left office. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now onto our top news. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas says the Senate holding an impeachment trial after Trump leaves office isn't within the Senate's purview. The House voted on Wednesday to impeach Trump for a second time for incitement of insurrection. In a statement released on his website, Cotton said that the Senate lacks constitutional authority to conduct impeachment proceedings against a former president. The founders designed the impeachment process as a way to remove office holders from public office, not an inquest against private citizens. The Constitution presupposes an office from which an impeached office holder can be removed. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi proposed a new House rule on Thursday that would fine members $5,000 if they do not follow new security protocols, including walking through a metal detector before entering the House chamber. The metal detectors were set up outside the chambers after the violent mob attack on the Capitol last week. But some GOP members are refusing to cooperate with the new security measures, either walking around the metal detectors or not stopping to be searched when they set them off. In a statement, Pelosi said that many House Republicans have disrespected our heroes by verbally abusing them and refusing to adhere to basic precautions, keeping members of our congressional community, including the Capitol Police, safe. It is tragic that this step is necessary, but the chamber of the People's House must and will be protected. Representative Lauren Boebert, Republican of Colorado, is one of the GOP members to criticize the new security measures, saying metal detectors outside of the House would not have stopped the violence we saw last week. And she further called Pelosi's actions just another political stunt. A vote on the new rule is expected to be held on January 21st. Nike won't be giving money to politicians who wanted to decertify the 2020 election results. In a statement, Nike said via the Washington Examiner, Nike's political action committee helps our employees support elected officials who understand our business and whose values align with our mission of serving athletes. These nonpartisan values rely upon upholding the principles of democracy. Although we're not yet making contributions at this point in the election cycle, Nike's PAC will not support any member of Congress who ignores these principles, including those who voted to decertify the Electoral College results. The Christmas movie Home Alone 2 Lost in New York has received a lot of attention on Twitter recently after the film's star, actor Macaulay Culkin, who played Kevin McAllister, said he approves of calls to remove President Donald Trump's cameo from the movie. Home Alone 2 was released in 1992, and several scenes in the film were shot in the Plaza Hotel, which Trump owned at the time. 
The director of the film, Chris Columbus, told Insider in a December 2020 interview that when he approached Trump about filming at the plaza, Trump said, "Okay, but the only way you can use the plaza is if I'm in the movie. Columbus added that when we screened it for the first time, the oddest thing happened. People cheered when Trump showed up on screen. So I said to my editor, leave it in the movie. It's a moment for the audience. But now fans are calling for the seven second cameo to be removed or for Trump to be replaced with another individual. One fan tweeted petition to digitally replace Trump in Home Alone 2 with 40 year old Macaulay Culkin, to which McCulkin responded, solid. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Fred Lucas as we discuss the House vote to impeach President Trump for the second time. I'm Zach Smith. And I'm Giancarlo Canaparo. And if you want to understand what's happening at the Supreme Court, be sure to check out SCOTUS 101, a Heritage Foundation podcast. We take a look at the cases, the personalities, and the gossip at the highest court in the land. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you find your podcasts. It's SCOTUS 101. I am joined by Fred Lucas, the Daily Signal's chief national affairs correspondent, co-host of the Right Side of History podcast, and author of the book Abuse of Power Inside the Three-Year Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump. Fred, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, Fred, you may need to write another book because your first one, Abuse of Power Inside the Three-Year Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump, of course, does not cover year four and the president's second impeachment. But we're going to chat a little bit more about that later. First, you covered the debate on the House floor Wednesday that led to the House voting to impeach President Trump. What stood out to you about what was said by members as they debated whether or not to impeach the president for a second time? Well, I I thought about how, in some ways, different it was from the previous impeachment. Um, And um, in in the sense that the debate started roughly, I would say, about the same time in in the a.m., but uh, they had it wrapped up around 5, 530 uh, for for the second impeachment, uh, the the other dragged well into the night, uh, in, into the evening, uh, ten or eleven o'clock at p.m. So uh, and 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 part of that was like every member wanted to speak. You you did have fewer, I think maybe fewer Republicans uh, wanted to step up this time, uh, particularly. Uh, also uh, because of COVID, a lot of members were voting by proxy. Uh, there was that aspect, and and of course. This one was, uh, whether you agree or disagree with this one or the last one, um, the last one was entirely partisan, uh, almost, except for a few Democrats that voted against it, against impeaching Trump at the first time. Uh, This time it was Republicans that crossed over, 10 Republicans crossed over and joined Democrats to vote for impeachment. Well, Representative Liv Cheney, Republican of Wyoming, she was one of those 10 GOP members to vote for impeaching the president. And Cheney is the chair of the House Republican Conference. She's the third ranking Republican in the House of Representatives. Yes, for now. Yeah, yeah, for now. (laughs) So what do you make of her decision and those other nine GOP members' decision to vote for impeachment? Well, um, some, some of the members stated that they felt like it was... Um, which, which I thought was interesting. Uh, uh, 
sort of a separation of powers argument and that the attack on Congress was in some way um, inspired by Trump and, and, and they felt like it was an attack from one branch of government onto another that they were defending uh, the legislative branch. Uh, that's an interesting argument. I, I, I think in some ways it has, it's an entirely political argument, but I think in some ways it has more stability than uh, trying to blame Trump for criminal incitement, which if you look at the federal statute for criminal incitement, it would really not apply to this. I mean, for one, it, it requires intent uh, Trump did say in his remarks that you're going to march over to the Capitol to peacefully and patriotically make your voice heard. However, later on, he, he did say fraud breaks up everything, doesn't it? When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by different rules. I, possibly some people took by different rules to mean something entirely different. But the fact that he said he did use the term peaceful protest during that would make it a hard case criminally to prosecute. Another point is that there's something called the Brandenburg test, which the Supreme Court established that determines how someone, um, when speech crosses the line to inciting violence uh, and whether violence occurred because of the speech or whether, uh, whether, its speech happened and then violence occurred later on, whether there was a necessarily a causation effect. And, and in most cases, the Supreme Court has held that that's a pretty strict high bar to meet. And, and in this case, I don't think Trump, it doesn't seem like Trump would have met that bar legally. But of course, there is a different standard of proof for impeachment than there is in a court of law. Yeah. Could you explain that a little bit? Because um, I was reading one of your pieces earlier that mentioned that difference. And it's fascinating to me that there is a, a distinct difference between the two. Well, yeah. And, and I get into this quite a bit in my book, Abuse of Power. Uh, and one one point I make uh, in chapter one, actually, is that generally speaking, uh, an imp- impeachment should be reserved uh, certainly impeachment of a duly elected president should be reserved for actually breaking a law. Uh, in lieu of actually breaking a law, it should be something that would threaten the country in some way. That is where it becomes maybe a judgment call. I mean, law is black and white, uh, whereas uh, something that threatens a country, that, that that could be a judgment call. The The previous impeachment, of course, was uh, these two very vague charges because they couldn't really define what Trump did wrong with that Ukraine call. They thought it was bad, uh, but but they didn't know in, bad in what way it really defined. So they said, we're going to impeach him for abuse of power and then abuse uh, impeach him for obstruction of Congress. This time, there was an actual... They did cite a what would have been a federal statute or a, a violation of the law in... Uh, they they impeached him the second time around for incitement of an insurrection. Personally, I was really impressed by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's uh, speech that that he gave on the House floor, as he talked about you know that we do need to hold the president accountable for what he said, and that you know he should take ownership for you know the amount that he was responsible for what happened on Wednesday. But he also really spoke to the fact 
that impeachment will only lead to you know more uh, more separation in in our nation. And when we're talking about unity, uh, impeachment will not bring us that. That it will only cause more division. So let's take a listen to just a portion of his remarks. But here is what a vote to impeach would do. A vote to impeach would further divide this nation. A vote to impeach will further fan the flames of partisan division. Most Americans want neither inaction nor retribution. They want durable, bipartisan justice. That path is still available, but is not the path we are on today. So, Fred, what do you think about McCarthy's remarks calling on his colleagues to choose bipartisanship and unity really for the sake of the country? Well, there, there definitely could have been uh, unity in this. Uh, that, uh, if they put a censure measure on the floor, uh, it would have gotten probably overwhelming bipartisan support. If not overwhelming, it would have gotten probably three or four times as many Republicans voting for it. And it would have been sort of this uh, sort of condemnation of Trump uh, for the speech given. Uh, whether someone agrees with that or not, that that, that would have been uh, a strong statement. And it would have foregone the uh, loaded impeachment word, I think. Uh, th- and, and this is something that's reported on in Abuse of Power, which is after Trump's acquittal, um, Nancy Pelosi sort of comforted herself uh, with the acquittal, saying that, whether he's got an acquittal or not, he's always going to have the scar of impeachment hanging over his head historically. And I think we probably saw a little bit of that this time. Uh, Pelosi and a lot of members of her caucus that just had this um, somewhat hair on fire, irrational hatred for Trump before this, uh, throughout the four years, uh, really, really wanted to impeach him again and really wanted to give him that as Pelosi called it a scar uh in history and 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 now he is the first president to ever be impeached twice yeah what do you make of the media's coverage of the second impeachment well it's probably somewhat similar to the first and sort of a a cheerleading fashion they <laughs> a another argument wasn't really entertained in the midst of all this, I, I don't think, and in most media coverage. So let's talk a little bit about what happens next. I mean, as a country, obviously, we're in a major season of transition. Trump is leaving office in less than a week. And on January 20th, Joe Biden will be sworn in. So with Trump leaving office, where does that leave things as far as the Senate holding impeachment hearings, because we know that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, he's already said that the Senate hearing, uh, if they choose to have it, wouldn't begin until after Joe Biden is inaugurated president. But I, I guess I'm wondering what exactly then would the point be of holding that uh, impeachment hearing when President Trump has already left office and is no longer in power? Well, the the purpose of uh, that that's the the best question about why they had this speech. The 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 purpose of impeachment uh, is to remove a public official from office, um, and I mean so so that's why this one was 
so odd to begin with, other than the fact that, as I said, Pelosi and Democrats and, and enough Republicans wanted to kind of tarnish him and sully him to the point of being a pariah on the way out of office. But uh, there are things, that, that said, there are things that the Senate can do in the course of a trial. Uh, the Senate, um, and, and, and they could have also done this in, in the previous trial had they found him guilty. Uh, the Senate can, once they remove a public official, they can then vote in a separate vote to disqualify that public official from ever holding a federal office again. They can uh, further vote to revoke that federal official's pension. Uh, they could prevent him from having Secret Service protection uh, down the road, as most former presidents do. And and given the animosity some people have out there towards Trump, that might be a fairly serious aspect of Secret Service protection for him. As far as his pension, I don't think he really needs a pension. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, there would be maybe a purpose for a Senate trial. Uh, the, the big one would be preventing him from holding federal office again, because a lot of people believe he wants to run for president again in 2024. There might be even some incentive among a few Senate Republicans that are also eyeing a 2024 campaign. Whether they would go out on the limb and actually vote for conviction in this case, because that could also hurt them politically in seeking the nomination. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there, that is something to look at, particularly since Mitch McConnell has said he doesn't know whether he would vote to convict. Uh, an important aspect here, though, uh, as far as those uh, other other forms of punishment, and and that is that a uh, in order to um, you would still need two-thirds of the Senate, 67 senators. That would mean you have to have 17 Republicans would have to cross over. Yeah. Um, last time it was 20, now, now it's 17. Uh, it would be the magic number. I guess that's not impossible if, in theory, Mitch McConnell were to vote for conviction. Uh, he, he might have enough clout to pull. But, I mean, it, it seems unlikely. I mean, I can think of maybe a handful. Certainly Mitt Romney would uh, be ready to. At any point, but I mean, I can think of maybe a handful of people like Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski might also vote for conviction uh, to prevent him from running. Um, it is difficult right now to see where how it gets to seventeen Republicans, but the trial might not happen for several months. Mm. Uh, and and I would raise this just politically speaking for Democrats, uh, they may hit a point in April or May. Uh, where Joe Biden's not having a, a a real great time at pulling everything together with COVID relief, so forth, and the economy and so forth, uh, they might want a good distraction. Uh, and it might benefit Democrats in the Senate to make the conversation about Trump again. Mm. Uh, Chuck Schumer will be the Senate majority leader at the time. He'll be setting most of the rules for the trial and so forth. So uh, I I think that's that's something to consider. Maybe that would be advantageous for Democrats to drag out a Trump trial. And that said, knowing Trump as we do, he might even enjoy the chance to uh, put on a big show and come in and testify for this trial. We never know. I mean, how do you think the American public would respond to that? Because I feel like at that point, 
you know, <laughs> Trump will have been out of office for several months. And, you know, for the past four years as a country, we've had to stomach the media just constantly berating Trump. And I feel like it would be a little bit of, of whiplash to go back to that place. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the average person in the public was like, well, what's the point of this? Democrats wouldn't see the political advantage with the average person. They would see the advantage from maybe the hardcore base of their party that really, really, really wants to punish Trump and also maybe some a way of gaining donations, hmm. uh, getting the, the, uh, the donor base fired up. Uh, and, and, and I mean, that, that's where I would anticipate that you know, maybe the DNC would think an impeachment trial would be a bonanza because, um, you know, get, getting that, that Trump emotion, uh, bringing that back into the Democratic fold would probably in some way help them politically. How do you think that would impact uh, Biden's presidency, though? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, this is the point. I mean, Biden could have probably shown a lot of presidential leadership and he's uh, in terms before this happened. And he could have probably just spoken publicly against it. There's no point in doing this. There's no point in going forward. Uh, and it could have gone a long way toward his reputation of trying to be this healer and uh, unity. But uh, we didn't see that. Um, it, it, it is important to, to note that this would not be the, the only time it's ever happened, uh, that, that a public official was out of office and a trial proceeded. Oh, really? So when, when else has that happened? Yeah. Uh, in 1876, uh, President Grant's war secretary, today it's called Defense Secretary, um, William Belknap, uh, was uh, caught up in a corruption scandal. Uh, the House was about to impeach him. He actually resigned just a few minutes before they were about to take that vote. Uh, and the House voted to impeach him anyway, even though he had resigned. Um, and at that point, I uh, went to the uh, the Senate. They decided to still have a trial. Uh, and, and back to what we were talking about, which would sort of revoke um, his pension and so forth. So, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a president, it wasn't an elected official, but it was a cabinet official. So that sort of sets this historical precedent that it has happened, and that's something that maybe Democrats can look to to justify this. And if you think that the Senate will hold um, their hearing, what is your prediction for the outcome of that hearing? I don't see how you reach 17 Republicans to vote to convict here at this point. I, I mean, you, you might have potentially five or six, but maybe even 10, like you did in the House, but uh, I, I, I doubt there's going to be that many. Um, I mean, it's hard to see at this point, and unless, unless between now and the time of the trial, uh, Democrats or Biden's Justice Department is able to come up with some kind of smoking gun evidence that there was collusion between Trump and the rioters. Uh, there's that word collusion again. I, I, I don't foresee that happening. But I mean, that, that's in theory. I, I think maybe the, the only thing that would move the Senate to reach 67 votes. Yeah. So, Fred, apart from this being the first time in history that a president has been impeached twice, what else uh, is making this current situation really unique or historic as as far as when we compare it with with past impeachments? 
Well, I mean, uh, for, for what we've been talking about, the, the big one was at the Senate trial, uh, which I think they are bound to have something. Uh, may or may not be a, a very abbreviated trial. They, they may gavel in, vote. They they could even have a vote, motion to dismiss and then vote out. The, the fact that it, it's happened afterwards, maybe the fact that there was some bipartisanship. Uh, there, I mean, there was bipartisanship during Watergate as well. Uh, and and that was that would have been an impeachment had Nixon not resigned ahead of time. I think it's certainly it's a historic in the fact that it came after an election, uh, that it came literally seven days before a president's term expired. I think people are going to look back in history on this one and just say why they're going to scratch their heads. Arguably, and and just based on the numbers, you you, you could maybe make the case that. There was a stronger case for this um, than the last impeachment. I, I think the last impeachment over the Ukraine phone call uh, that, that I read about in Abuse of Power uh, was just fairly silly, uh, whereas, and it's going to be viewed as that in history. This one might be just, just because of the trauma the country experienced from the attack on the Capitol. Um, they're looking for someone to blame. Uh, they've Enough people blame the president. So, so I think in that sense, maybe the, this one will be viewed with somewhat more credibility, even though I think it's probably a bit of a stretch to lay all the blame at the president. But another important point here, though, and this is something that's uh, really laid out throughout um, my book, Abuse of Power, and that is that basically the move to impeach Trump uh, began the Wednesday after the 2016 election. Um, and uh, there was a website that launched about impeaching Trump. Uh, there was a Washington Post story about it uh, uh, that launched on January 20th of, of 2017, that the day he was inaugurated. Uh, so immediately upon his election and his inauguration, the movement to impeach began. Uh, you had Democratic lawmakers began talking about impeaching Trump. Uh, they managed an impeachment uh, midway through the first term and, and managed through an election year impeachment trial. And then, uh, so given their commitment to getting an impeachment, it, it, it almost seems maybe not so surprising that they would impeach him seven days before leaving office. Yeah. Just for good measure. Uh, I, uh, I, I would bring up also mentioned an abuse of power uh, is that. There were actually, um, Congressman Al Green pushed uh, a vote on the floor of the House for three different impeachment resolutions uh, against Trump. Uh, the The first three were rejected. Uh, so this was actually the fifth time uh, there was a, an impeachment vote against Trump uh, in some form or another on the House floor. So, so I mean, this had been sort of an obsession from the moment Trump got elected until he was um, until his term expired. So, mm. so, so in that sense, I, I think it's historical to the, the point of which one party would doggedly chase another president. Hopefully we don't continue to see that. And hopefully it doesn't normalize impeachment too much. Yeah, I certainly hope not. Well, Fred, before we let you go, you've mentioned your book. Uh, I mentioned it at the top of the show, Abuse of Power Inside the Three-Year Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump. 
So that published uh, in the summer of 2020. But Fred, are you going to write another? Can we expect a sequel now? Well, we'll see. Um, At this point, I'm I'm afraid they'll launch another impeachment before I get the other one done. (laughs) You might need to wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they may determine, hey, there is precedent for impeaching, actually impeaching someone in the House after they're out of office. So they'll have precedent. So let's go after him again. Have to wait and see. Well, for all of our listeners, you can follow Fred's work at The Daily Signal or by following him on Twitter at Fred Lucas, WH, that stands for White House. Fred, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal podcast. You can find The Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening. Have a great Martin Luther King Day, and we'll be back with you all on Tuesday. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.